So hi, my name's Annabelle Berry, and you're listening to the latest episode of Security and Two Sugars. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, uh, the whole premise of it is that it's set in and around the security sofa, and I get an opportunity to speak to some really cool people from the InfoSec industry about them, about their lives, about how they got into the industry in the first place, how they got to do the cool jobs that they're doing now, and just to hear really about their, um, I hate to use that word journey, but I'm about to, journey, um, and about, you know, really how they've come to be in the industry and hopefully for them to share a few nuggets of wisdom that they've learned along the way and a little bit of advice, hopefully. So I'm really, really over the moon that my guest today is Eliza May Austin. Eliza is CEO of That Security Company and Pocket Seam. And um, also I know Eliza from Ladies Hacking Society and we'll, we'll touch on that later on in the podcast. So first of all, hi, Eliza. Hi, how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. I'm really good. I'm really excited that you're um, that you're on the podcast with me today. So thanks thank for having me. For coming on. <laughs> this is no, thanks be, for having uh, me. It's going to be fun, I think. Um, so obviously, you're um, hopefully familiar with the podcast now, and there's been, I think, a, a one or two episodes out. So it's set in around mm-hmm. sofa. So unfortunately, because we're still, um, well mainly because we're in different parts of the country, actually. But uh, because obviously we're still um, kind of restrictions in terms of, of catching up with people and things like that, then we're having to do this remotely. Otherwise, I do feel that we would be doing this sat on a sofa somewhere, possibly with one or two glasses of something um, alcoholic, I think, to accompany us. <laughs> Security <As it> iced <laughs> tea. <laughs> Exactly. Um, But as it is, we're dialed in remotely. Um, But obviously, the question I ask my first guests um, is, what are you drinking to um, accompany your time on the sofa with me this afternoon? What, What have you got? I would normally be drinking nothing other than a good old fashioned black Yorkshire tea. Um, but I'd be lying if I said I'm not drinking a pre-packed Starbucks cafe latte from Sainsbury's. Oh, I say that's a bit actually odd. amazing. Only a pound. Fantastic. My mum actually is a big fan of those. She's been telling me about those. I've not tried that. Is it good? Amazing. I'm on a diet and I always have chocolate cravings. And for some reason, they just get rid of the chocolate craving, which probably means they're terrible for you, for your system. But hey, ho. Well, if it if it's if it's working, it's working. Well, that sounds incredibly. Cool. <laughs> um, so you're not drinking this out of a mug, then? I'm I'm assuming. Is it? No, is it I'm drinking. The... I'm drinking it out of the pot. I'm afraid. <laughs> no worries. No, Should have lied. Absolutely fine. No, that's absolutely fine. Um, and um, you mentioned about Yorkshire tea. I had a whole. I don't know if you mentioned if you uh, listened to the podcast with Catherine Cardos, but her and I had like about a ten minute conversation about Yorkshire tea at the time. And I know you're um, a, a Yorkshire tea fan. So you took your Yorkshire tea without milk. Yeah, completely black. Yeah, and no I would sugar? have. I no sugar, no sugar. I would have thought oh. Catherine Cardos was a Rington's girl because they're from Newcastle, aren't they? Well, she did mention that. She did say that she probably should have been a Twinings or a Rington's yeah. uh, drinker, but she said, no, Yorkshire tea, absolutely through <laughs> and through. And, um, yeah, she's um, she's a massive, massive fan, so as you're in good company, but with Starbucks today. So um, and I have got a uh, – actually, I've got green tea today for a bit of change. I thought I'd 
mix it up a bit. I've been drinking um, normal tea for the last couple of weeks while I've been doing these. So I'm going green tea and I'm drinking out of my very snazzy uh, David Bowie mug today. So, mm. so good. We've set the scene for our uh, for our little chat. So let's settle in and um, and get the conversation going. So obviously the whole point of me starting this podcast was to be able to um, – Really, it's kind of a bit self-indulgent on my part, really, because it gives me the opportunity to to find out more about um, the people who I really admire in the industry and and what their stories are. Um, but one of the main reasons for doing it is because what I wanted to do was give uh, people who are maybe thinking about coming into the industry or indeed people who have already got into the industry but really want to move their careers forward an opportunity to find out and hear other people's stories how they got in the first place, you know, how things have moved on for them over the years and things like that. So so with that in mind, I'm going to take you back to your school days, because um, I think that's usually a good starting point for, for people um, in terms of setting the scene about what kind of things, you know, you were interested in at school, what sort of subjects were you interested in? And, you know, back then when you're at school, what, what sort of career did you think you might have when you were looking into the future or talking to the careers advisors and things like that? So if that's a good place to start. Yeah. So, okay. So my favorite subject was art and that was about it. Everything else I hated with a, with a passion. Um, I liked RE just so that I could argue the toss with people. Um, so I really got my debate skills sort of exercise there. But to be completely honest, a lot of my um, early teenage years were spent, I left school at 16. And before that, I was, it was spent in the park <laughs> with my friends, yeah. Kerry, Tina and Natalie. And we used to just go to the park. Um, yeah, we were, you know, not the best kids, <laughs> to be completely honest. <laughs> um, I didn't enjoy school, to be, to be frank. No, no, that's fair enough. I think a lot. I think a lot of people. That's that's their experience, and they absolutely don't. I mean, yeah, I had certainly uh, quite a few years where I, I I hated it actually, really, really early on at um, comprehensive, certainly. But um, so tell me a bit more about art then. What what were you? Were, one, were you good at it? And two, what kind of art were you were you were you doing? Or what kind of art did you love? Um, well, I'd say anything artistic. I'm naturally gifted, and it's the only thing. Um, the only sort of talent, skill, vocation, whatever, um, that comes naturally to me. I've had to try everything and I'm not academic at all. But, um, you know, I can I can draw, I can paint, I can build, um, you know, furniture, I can paint pictures, do great photographs, anything like that I can do naturally and I enjoy it. Um and do you still yeah. do? Do you st- what? Do you still do any of those things? Do you still paint or draw? Well, I mean, I'm always drawing when I'm on the phone. I'm drawing right now, oh. <laughs> but um, but uh, no, I not really. I do upcycle old furniture and I paint it and I, you know, try to make things look a lot older than they were, um, a lot older than they actually are. And I do it quite well, and people are always quite shocked when they realise it's a new piece of crappy furniture. Um, yeah, so I suppose that's a talent. And I think in cybersecurity, everyone sort of needs a hobby that is completely far removed from cybersecurity, from technology. That's mine. I don't get to do it often enough. It might be once every couple of months now. But um, 
you know, five hours feels like 20 minutes. Um, and I've got a great piece of furniture. Mm, yeah. It's funny, isn't it, Ash? Because you're not the first person that I've, um, that I've interviewed who's mentioned about art and having a love of arts in, um, at school. And I, you just reminded me of something that Mike Jones was talking about. I think it was at NISC. And he said that a high proportion of um, hackers um, have can play musical instruments or do art or have a very artistic flair uh, within them. And I think that's maybe that's something I'd love to do a survey, actually, the InfoSec community and see how actually into some some kind of real, um, you know, artistic flair or talents to their to their and whether that helps in some way um in terms of what what we do depending on what what kind of roles obviously within InfoSec well, are doing but I think there might be something in that um I think creativity has got a lot to a, a lot to be um I don't know the right terminology here but I think creativity really helps it can't hurt right I think from a penetration testing perspective if you've got to find routes around the the standard if that makes any sense if something's supposed to be used in a specific way and you've got to find a way to use it in the way that you want um and how it wasn't intended that takes creativity that takes rather than sitting down and analyzing just the application from a binary point of view thinking about how something can be manipulated from a creative standpoint and I also think that in order to effectively defend, you have to have the, the same mindset as well. Um, so, for example, just because something isn't supposed to happen doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So if your brain is malleable enough and creative enough to see that, um, anything's possible. And I think that helps in cybersecurity. But I don't know. I might just be talking out my backside no no I think I think you're right I think there's probably something in there I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start <laughs> we're gonna start putting some data together on that I'm quite interesting I think so um so so you're at school so you're hanging around the park um and you're doing <laughs> art <laughs> um so what did you what did you do for GCSEs then did you um oh I did all my GCSEs so like um I got 11 I didn't pass all of them very high I got like a couple of A stars in artistic subjects, um, a few C's in English and sciences. Um, and then the rest pretty much pointless. I I remember I did um my French oral exam and I didn't know anything other than the word we. So I just sat because I just didn't pay attention. So I just sat on a table and said we constantly and the teacher was just looking at me like, bitch, you failed. <laughs> um yeah but no I really I really like English um I like creative writing I like reading um about I I did like reading about people's experiences from the past and stuff you know first-hand experiences I don't know um yeah just that's again that's creative Mm. yeah Um, what was it about school that you that you hated um the rules um the authority that I wasn't allowed to challenge the lack of what I saw at the time of common sense like I I know now that um, you know school uniforms are excellent ideas because you know kids are on a level playing field and you know blah 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 but I remember being put in a detention unit 
like as in constantly every day for about three weeks because I wore jeans to school because I ripped my trousers and I couldn't afford new ones <laughs> so, like really strange stuff and I just thought what the what on earth what on earth um yeah I think probably my best memory of school was when I was told that girls can't play rugby now I don't care if girls can or can't play rugby um I've got no interest in rugby at all but I didn't like being told that girls can't do it so I started the first um the school's first rugby team for girls um just because I was so pissed off that this male teacher told me that I could not play rugby and girls it's not a sport for girls um then we had our first game, which wasn't even a real game. It was more of a practice one. And I got absolutely thrown all over. I'm five foot one now. At the time when I was like 14, 15, I was a dwarf, let's face it, a skinny dwarf. Um, yeah, and I just got thrown all over um, by the other girls and I just thought well I've started it now I'm gonna fuck off I'm never doing that again um but last time I checked that rugby team still going so that's like my favorite memory but um wow that's amazing that's amazing that you founded that uh, yeah you was... weren't interested in it no <laughs> it was just proving a point <laughs> <laughs> no good for you it's proving a point I, I remember at school actually we we had to petition there was a school trip that was going to see because uh, obviously I was brought up in South Wales so rugby is literally you know it's practically a religion um and um you know we um we had various school trips happening and and we rem- I remember one year that they were going to um take a trip to go and watch Wales play it was I think it must have been in the autumn one of the, the autumn internationals I think um but they were only uh, initially going to allow the boys to go or some of the boys to go so we went and petitioned the um the headmaster to say well this is really unfair and you should open this up to girls and 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 they did actually they backed down in the end so yes go and see the rugby game which was which was good so um and I think I did play rugby a couple of times at school but I got um I think I ripped uh I think I tackled a boy in my class and basically ripped his jumper um so his mum wasn't very happy I think so anyway that was my own experience of playing rugby at um, school and I haven't played it since so I went I started playing hockey instead so um but anyway good okay so so basically you've got to 16 you're leaving school so basically at that point what did you have anything in mind about what you were wanting to do did you have an idea in mind about what kind of job that you wanted what was going through your mind at 16? Okay, so in Doncaster, then, I don't know, not so much now, but then there was zero opportunity. Um, There was such a a lot of poverty in Doncaster at the time, just not, you know, just a typical northern town, nothing's happened since the mine shut in the 80s. Um, So, bit crap, really. But I just knew that I wanted to have a flip phone wear a skirt suit and strut around telling people what to do and I had no idea what what that to do was but I knew that I wanted to strut around in a skirt suit with a flip phone and a really posh hairdo don't have the posh hairdo that was that was giving you this 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 vision (laughs) I I don't know I can only think like Ali McBeal um maybe Ali McBeal and uh something that really comes to mind 
did you ever see that film Casper the Friendly Ghost with Christina Vicker did you know that blonde woman Carrigan in it that's a nightmare but she's got a flip bone and perfect hair and a skirt suit I just thought she was amazing and I wanted to be Carrigan even though she was the most evil character um very strange child very strange I also when I was really young like primary school six seven years old um I used to cut out any form that you had to fill out in a, in a newspaper so if it was like to order something or a voucher I used to cut them out and then fill them in because I used to think that it made me like really grown up very 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 strange <laughs> child honest to god I don't know how I got like how I got through childhood without being diagnosed with anything <laughs> um well uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you need, if you have any forms that you need filling in, then you know, <laughs> Eliza's Eliza's your lady. So, uh, oh uh, god, I, most people I know hate form filling. So well, I hate it now. Trend. <laughs> yeah. But as a kid, I thought I was yeah. super grown up. Uh, you know, liked heels that went clip clop when you walked on the kitchen floor. Like loved it. Um, yeah, but I know I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a lot of ambition. Um, and I had nowhere to challenge it. So I think I was just a bit sort of, I don't know. I just, any job that I would get, I started working at 14 and any job that I got. So say if I was a waitress in at 14, 15, I used to think naturally think, how can this process be improved? How can this be improved? How can this be quicker? How can this be better? Um, and then I'd go around and go work out how to make things more efficient. And then I'd quickly become like the best waitress or the best bar staff or the best person in the warehouse or on the reception desk um just through naturally seeing process failures um but it wasn't enough um you know and no one wants to forever be in a minimum wage job um so I knew quickly that that's you know I needed to figure out what I needed to do and I did try a number of different things um from a young age and and not all of them suited me and that's fine and now I've found what I like and what suits me but um so what did you do when you left to when you left school at 16 what was what was what was the um so I went first job that you did well the first job that I did um was at 14 um and that was working in a barber shop with a really creepy man um (laughs) weird weird creepy man that used to pay me to sit in the window and read magazines and just drink cans of pop because he said that it attracted the boys and I was like cool this is such an easy job and now that I'm older I'm like oh what a creepy weirdo wow. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know didn't do anything it was totally fine he just made you know maybe maybe he was right I don't know um and then after that I worked um in a kitchen doing uh like washing the dishes and stuff at a different place at a cafe um and then I worked at McDonald's for a few years um and then I just started working in restaurants uh that's that's what I did throughout my teens and went to the Channel Islands worked as a receptionist really boring jobs really so how how did you move from from doing those kind of jobs to getting into IT because that seems like quite a big not a big jump but just a just a, an unusual jump I guess because you know you, you haven't mentioned obviously anything to do with sort of IT no. or computers or anything like that um or you know um 
or you know anything that would suggest actually that 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 was the path you were going to take not not that I think that's particularly unusual I think that's actually the case for, for quite a few people but but how 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 did that path take you to start okay. to get into or look at look into IT so when I was at school there was no IT I'm not even that old but it was really like here's how to use Microsoft Word um on Windows Vista or whatever it was um no interest in that whatsoever and didn't I can't I don't even think I did a GCSE in it um and I, I used computers sort of from my late teens because my brother won one for me in a poker game which is really nice yeah very very cool so that's how I got my first uh personal laptop um and <sighs> I think when I was at art college, I got really into computer-aided design um, and started playing around with Macs then. Um, But again, like nothing other than a superficial interest. And then when I got to 19, I was working as a shot girl in a strip club. So the person walking around handing the shots out. Mm -hmm. A guy grabbed my ass and I punched him and I got fired. And from then on, I was like this is not happening to me again and I need to go and do something with my life that's better than this. Um, So I just took some time to think about what I wanted to do. I went and did some, um, I went and did a basic, like a maths course because I didn't have, I didn't pass a maths GCSE. I'm being so honest in this uh, podcast user it's because you're my friend so I'm just like verbal diarrhea um yeah and I did like basic computing and just got like a few generic qualifications under my belt um went and did a combined science course and I just thought right I'll go and do nursing <laughs> I'll go wow. and yeah oh the irony I turned up on the ward because you have to do um like work experience throughout your training so you have to like go and work on what? Hang on two seconds. Let me just wind you back. So how did that, <laughs> how did, how, where did the nursing come from? Oh, I just thought they pay for your degree. The NHS pay for your degree at the time. I just thought I'll go and do that. But I turned up on the ward and I was like, oh my God, actually I hate sick people. <laughs> and I was okay, just like, yeah. this is, this is awful. Like people coughing on me. There's like, obviously it's common sense, but like when you're faced with, someone with a contagious disease and they're coughing and spewing up blood and then the person next to you has just crapped their pants and then there's someone screaming in the corner I was just like no my last shift I did I just I shaved this woman's chin this woman had a beard because she had a hormone thing and I shaved her chin and I was like okay I'm I put the razor down and I just thought I'm not I can't do this as a career I'm not I'm not a I'm not the right person Um, so I didn't well there is a reason they say it's a calling part of who you are really I think in 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 many ways because actually I wanted to be a nurse as well and I went and did um, in a hospital for two weeks when I was at school and at the end of the two weeks, I kind of I 
just realized yeah I, could, I I I wasn't sure I could do that either actually um you know having been on all the sort of lots of different wards and things like that over the course of the two weeks and I just thought mm, not sure this is for me actually um, <laughs> so I absolutely take my hat off to, to the people who do you know yes newfound respect like I've got so much respect yeah. for nurses and for care staff because yeah. I just like the me being grossed out by another person's vomit overweighed my desire to care for them so for an, a good nurse or a good healthcare assistant they'll just think okay this person's been sick but I need to care for them I was like ew this person's been sick and it's near me this is gross <laughs> like, yeah. like really not not my calling at all um yeah but you know I, it was an experience um after that because I'd done like this combined science thing I thought right, I will go and do forensic science. So I just went on to another uni course and I was thinking, I can't move after this because I've just quit nursing. This is ridiculous. Um, got there, realised no jobs in it and uh, like no jobs in forensic science. Everyone that graduated just seemed to go and work in a pill factory. Um, and I just thought, well, this is, well, that's crap. I want a job for life. I, you know, I wanted decent wage coming from Doncaster and growing up without without that um and then I started looking into forensic science um I did a module on it during the forensics really interested in it um went and did like a a course while I was at uni like a a sideline gig thing and uh then moved and went to Sheffield Hallam and did digital forensics and absolutely fell in love with it and I haven't looked back since wow we're we're really captivated by what interested you you know because it's been such a you know what you've described in terms of very much being you know an arts arts focused very much around the creativity and everything else um clearly a hard worker and a grafter from what you've described in terms of the different jobs that you've done um in terms of waitressing and being behind the bar and kind of almost like an entrepreneurial flair really in terms of that trying to make things better in those jobs and trying to see where things could be improved and things like that. And I think when your mind is very much built like that, I think that never goes away. Mm. Um, and then obviously going to do, you know, uh, going to college, going to focus on some things, deciding, yeah, I'm going to rule those things out and then ending up somewhere where, you know, actually we're doing something that really excited you. What was it particularly about, about it that pushed your buttons? Initially, um, before I got on the course, I thought, okay, this is a little bit of research. I was like, okay, this is really in demand. Um, there's no reason why I can't do it. So I'm just going to learn it. Um, when I got there, I realized the ca- capability you have with these skills to really make a difference. Um, when it comes to child protection, um, national security, just, you know, things like that really you have so much power to make a difference and do good um and that's what really like drove me forward and in my first sort of year at uni that's where I wanted to go and I wanted to go into counterterrorism and all these other interesting things I didn't end up doing it in the end because um I then you know I got headhunted straight out of uni in my first year I did finish my degree but while I was working um and I found out that actually when you work in child protective services and uh, you work in counterterrorism, you don't get paid a great deal. 
um, and it's incredibly mentally demanding. So I ended up going down the corporate route. Yeah. But I think, you know, there's something in there, obviously something you were already had in the back of your mind when you were looking into nursing. So there's clearly something in there for you about making a difference in people's <sighs> lives or making some sort of difference. Yeah, I think you just got to find your method, haven't you? And it's quite easy to say, okay, well, I pay my taxes and the NHS pay at the time paid for nursing degrees. Um, I think that the government could do more when it comes to cybersecurity students, to be honest. But, you know, it would be it was quite easy at the time to think, I'll just go and do nursing. Um, I knew nurses. I had friends that their mums were nurses. And I thought, oh, I'll just go and do that. And actually, I wasn't cut out for it. Um, I don't I don't care enough about maybe that would have made me a good nurse. I wouldn't have got emotionally attached. But I didn't care enough about other people's illnesses. This sounds awful. I sound like such a dick. If something's close to home, if like it's yeah. if it's a friend or a family member, um, you know, the smallest thing can absolutely break my heart. But when it's someone else, I don't care enough to yeah. invest my life in it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but I think there's something in there because you've mentioned it, and it's it's actually kind of is a common theme actually that and this just happens to have been the case it's not something that I've kind of intentionally set out to do that actually the last couple of people I've interviewed um have felt there's definitely something in them including you in terms of wanting to do something to help people wanting to sort of you know give back or, or whatever and and I I I'm quite interested in that in terms of you know what where do you think that is that just part part of your personality where, or where does that come from? Is that sort of influenced by your family or um, what, oh what is it that's, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you kind of, um, I'm not saying that you, um, you know, it's over, it's, it's massively overarching everything else, but there's definitely something in you and, and everything else that I know about you, you know, as, as we've met latterly in terms of, of the various, um, organizations you've been involved in some of the things you do I very much know that that's something that's very important for you is 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 supporting and helping other people so I'm just interested to to see if if we can dive into where that comes from a bit um god I actually don't know um I think I definitely hate injustice with LHS for example like I said before um where there was no opportunities growing up they're all not just as a kid but like as a as as women as just people that are working class a lot of the time especially up north there isn't the opportunities that there is down south um I don't like um wasted potential um I don't like people to feel like they can't achieve something because they you know don't have the right background um they don't learn the same way as everyone else or they don't have the same intelligence types as other people, all these different things. I just don't like it. And I just wish that people would see um, what they were, cap- what they'd be capable of if they stopped giving a shit to what other people think, because we have to, we have to face the fact that the reason a lot of us don't do a lot of the things we want to do is because we're scared of what other people will think. If we actually dig down to it, like dig deep, that's the reason that's a really pathetic reason actually um 
So I think if there's something that I disagree with, I will try and do something about it to make it right. Yeah. Um, but regardless of what that makes me look like, regardless of how um, argumentative people are going to be on, on that subject. Um, but I mean, I don't know, like why, you know, where do any of our personality traits come from? I have no idea. I'm just rabbiting on. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. but I think, you know, it's that whole thing is nature versus nurture, isn't it? I just wondered whether, you know, because some of it will definitely be um, part of your personality for sure. Um, and then sometimes, you know, we're influenced by the people around us and things that we, you know, we've seen other people doing and things like that. So I, I was just curious, but I think, you know, that's a really, really good, honest answer you've just that you've just given, which is, you know, injustice and actually trying to even, well, one, trying to encourage people that, who may not necessarily take that leap um, because I completely agree with you. I think fear is something that holds so many people back. Fear of failure um, is something that, you know, cripples people in, in, in some respects and trying to encourage them to take a leap um, is really important. And also trying to even up the play, playing field as much as you possibly can within the capability to sort of, um, to make things more accessible, to make things more visible, I guess. And that's, you know, part of, part of having the conversation with you today is, 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 is to make, make these things more visible, discuss these kind of things. So actually people who are feeling the same way or feeling the same constraints or, um, you know, are really struggling with particular aspects of how they move their lives forward, you know, can hear somebody else who's, who's, who's kind of had similar, similar questions and wanted to move forward in a different direction. So, um, so no, that's, that's, it was a good, it's a good, <laughs> good answer. You're not, not talking about okay. honest, honest, you're not. Um, so obviously we've got to the, the point where you're, you're, um, doing a degree, you mentioned you were headhunted out of, um, uni, which is amazing. So, Tell me about your first couple of jobs in the industry. Um, so my first proper job, I did a number of internships um, just because I knew that I was an academic. So I made sure I lined myself up with um, plenty of intern, mini internships and stuff in, in summer holidays and whatnot. Um, just to get that experience. And my first proper job was in cybersecurity was Marks and Spencer um absolutely fantastic time I had there brilliant company to work for um and I just felt I left there just because I got an offer from another company which would have been stupid to turn down at the time and uh I sort of felt like I'd learn as much as I could learn there at that point um, but fantastic company to go and work in. So it was kind of a cybersecurity, cyber defense person, but a generalist role. So I sort of learned a bit about um, offensive security, defensive security, um, just how a company processes work and just a complete experience to a new environment that I'd not, I'd not been in before. So it were a fantastic opportunity and I'll, I'll always have really fond memories of Marks and Spencer. So what were the first couple of roles that you had in the industry? What, what kind of security, obviously you mentioned the ones you had at um, M&S, but what were the first kind of kind of roles that you had out of uni? Um, what was your experience of doing them? So these were defence roles. So SOC analyst roles and incident response. Um, 
which is where I feel most comfortable, to be completely honest. So um, just corporate defence, really. But um, yeah, learnt, learnt plenty. I didn't have a particular desire to deep dive into forensics after uni because I think I was a bit bored of it <laughs> I didn't really massively um I fell in love with cybersecurity, but I didn't massively have anything driving me to do forensics in a corporate environment I think forensics in like uh, national defense capacities sounds really exciting but corporate forensics no thanks there's nothing appealed about that but um, I yeah, I really loved um, working in a working in a SOC, working doing incident response, um, responding to cyber attacks and stuff. I loved it. And I, we've mentioned we talked about in the past about um, you've mentioned to me that a very high proportion, um, particularly of women who come into the cybersecurity industry, leave within a very short period of time. What kind of reasons do you see that that happens? And what was your experience of coming in in your first couple of jobs? And did you experience the same kind of challenges as you see um, other women experiencing now? So I had an internship um, that was horrific. Um, Really not a nice experience whatsoever. And I I left um, before it was due to finish. And that almost put me off cybersecurity altogether um it turns out it wasn't a sex-based thing it was uh because i know uh, a man a young man that interned there as well and he had a very very similar experience um but i i haven't faced a great deal of challenges um being a woman in cybersecurity um i've had you know the occasional you know unwanted sort of advance yeah 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 um but no I think when I've been in environments where I've been the only female which has been most jobs that I've had um you know everyone's been nice and respectful I've had the odd comment but it's mainly from someone that's you know had a drink and they've said something like oh you only got that promotion because you are a woman or because so-and-so fancies you or something like that which you kind of then think am I a token am I the token person that's been the most sort of detrimental thing to my uh, my confidence in in the industry um, having comments like that um, or you know like some you know a drunk colleague that you actually really get on with just saying well you know it definitely helps that you've got tits that kind of thing and you just think is that genuinely what people think and I do remember um, being a big corporate once and um, the the internal recruiter came over just to have a coffee with us and uh, he, he was genuinely a really nice guy and he'd forgotten everyone's name on the team apart from mine and I was like, oh, that's weird. You just remembered my name. And he was like, I never forget a diversity hire, is what he said. And I thought, great. <laughs> that's why I was hired. So yeah. those, uh, I think that's why I'm so vehemently against um, tokenism yeah. um, in security. So that, they're the sort of worst experiences. I've heard horror stories, but, but yeah. Are, are there common themes that you hear? So obviously you're hearing a lot more you know, from from the the women who come along to LHS and you know other 
uh, groups that you're involved in in the industry and things like that. Are there common themes that you're seeing now that people are experiencing? Um, is with that mainly the reasons they're leaving? I guess. I mean, oh, sorry. Yeah, I didn't actually have them. I didn't actually no, no, ask the question, did I? Sorry. No, you did actually because you because I was asking you what your experience had been, and then also you know what 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 you're seeing other people's experiences because the reason I'm asking the question is because when we first met I was quite surprised about that because I wasn't aware um that that was the case that actually quite a lot of or a high proportion of people are leaving quite early on Mm. and I was something that I wasn't aware of and so it makes me want to talk about it more yeah and make other people aware and I, I just wondered if there are common themes that you're seeing um you know not having been your own experience but are there are there common themes that that you see that it's important to kind of raise and 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 make people just more aware about whether or not those things are being done consciously or unconsciously really I guess yeah okay so I've had quite a few women not just in LHS but in general that have told me the bro culture really puts them off and they just kind of think fuck it I can't be bothered this is not worth my time um with me it did bother me but um if it wasn't of sexual nature I didn't really care I just brushed it off um so what I mean by bro culture is when you have a group of guys together that you know mine individually all be great guys when um the banter starts um and when it becomes aimed at a woman it's like quite often sexual comments um and whatnot I don't know um yeah which I've I've experienced before but I think my threshold and another woman's threshold might be different and we're all different so something that I would go home and think god that guy was a dick mine absolutely put a woman off the industry um or it might have ruined her day whereas I've just it's just a water for ducks back um so I know a lot of women have got um a threshold which is which is different to mine in terms of um like verbal comments and, and whatnot um I do find that if you're in an environment where teamwork isn't um if the culture is bad and that's your first experience in cybersecurity that can really put you off and then if you get in another company and the culture is bad again so for example I worked at um, a company briefly that had one toilet one unisex toilet per floor um no tampon bin um and pretty much everyone went to the same universities so everyone knew each other the culture was really awful actually it wasn't nice like you know decent enough company which just wasn't nice culturally but I didn't like it and then then if I'd have left there and gone to the same company that I'd done an internship on that you know the culture was a bit off um I might have thought well fuck it I'll go and do something else so I can imagine women do um and I know um my business partner he used to have a, a woman work for him who had sort of a unique situation with her kids and um, her lifestyle. And um, she had to split her day up. So she'd work early in the morning, she'd go home, do what she needed to do, and then she'd log on again in the evening. And so they'd created this really flexible working for this particular woman who was great at her job and they really wanted to keep her. Um, when she came to try to leave, she couldn't find anywhere that would be flexible. 
Um, and then when my business partner left, that flexibility was also threatened as well because it was him that had um, established it. So there's, I, I still think that, I know we say flexible working is flexible working that, but at the end of the day, women, a lot of the time, are the ones that do bear the brunt of the childcare and the brunt of the elderly parent care as well. And that is still something that if you verbalise, you just shout it down as being sexist. Because um, I know a man who is a single dad and looks after his mum, great. But the predominantly, that's women's lives. And as they get older and progress in cybersecurity, they, you know, they do have kids and they do, their parents do get older. What are they supposed to do if the work isn't going to be flexible around their lifestyle? Um, so I think that's a massive contributor Sorry if I'm being really boring, by the way. No, you're not at all. And I'm just thinking about that because I think, actually, I think that's one of the things that might change as a result of COVID-19 because, or start to change because I think the way that we've all worked has completely changed over the last couple of months and lots of people working from home who've never worked from home before and also... um, organizations have had to afford flexibility to their Mm. workers because obviously a lot of people have had uh, they might have had um sick relatives at home or elderly relatives who needed you know who were shielding for example they might have had um kids at home or they've had to be homeschooling and you know good employers have had to be more flexible than they've ever been um i think to, to make sure that actually an understanding that there might be parts of the day where actually not going to be logged on because you know there are other things going on at home home right now and you know as long as it doesn't impact the output and the you know um and, and the results that we're getting then actually you know I think that there is a shift in thinking um that I'm seeing that's being talked about at leadership level across lots of organizations now about how that might change the way that we work and I think that might be a positive outcome um from from this i think is a, is a heightened sense of realization about how people's home lives impact work and how to get the best from them how to make them most productive and most successful in the environments which might mean changing the environments in which that they work to be more accommodating you know, to balance home life a bit more. Uh, I, th- I think that might be something that that does change. I'm not saying it'll change massively overnight, but I think, you know, it's been literally on every employer's table and they haven't really had an opportunity not to look at it over the last couple of months, more so than ever before. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, I think. Well, yeah, I think you're certainly right on that. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, quite rightly so, I, th- I think as well. And it will be a massive silver lining to come out of this because they can't go. It's hard to go back on that. It's hard for people to see the benefits of working like that. And then their boss say, OK, everyone back in the office. That's going to be really difficult. And a lot of people will think, OK, I'll leave. And, you know, you spend hours, you spend most of your life at work. Most of your working week is at work and not at home with your family, with your dog, whatever. Yeah. Um, it should be reasonably enjoyable it shouldn't be unbearable right um so yeah I think people are starting to cotton on to that now that otherwise wouldn't have and thinking hang on a minute I don't have to tolerate this 
and like you say I think that's going to be a massive sort of um there's going to be some pushback from people yeah I think there will be and I think you're right I think the people who then are working for somewhere where the flexibility that they've had because they've had to you know that's had to happen um if that's being wound back to a certain extent to a point that they don't or no longer feel comfortable I think then they'll they will seek out other organizations that will give them that and I think there will be more organizations who who work um a lot more flexibly um because of everything that's happened and 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 demonstrating that you know it actually hasn't uh damaged organizations output and productivity and success necessarily um it it, the working from home bit hasn't i mean lots of other external uh pressures at the moment obviously are putting um organizations and jobs at risk but but actually you know home working where possible i appreciate obviously not not everyone um not everyone's jobs is is geared up to that but certainly in the imposet community um you know i think it has been so i can hear you scribbling by the way oh sorry i'll stop (laughs) (laughs) doodling (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) no no i'm sorry um so um so you've had your first couple of jobs, you talked about M&S, you know, what, what were the next couple of roles for you? And, and how did you see your career moving forward to where, to where you are now from, from when you were at M&S? How did things evolve for you? Um, I, it was a great foundation to go and work at M&S. Um, because I'd, like I said before, because I didn't come from a, an IT background, I made the mistake of going straight into security and forensics, which was actually in hindsight stupid but if I'd have known that and if I'd have known how difficult that was going to be I would never have done it and I wouldn't be where I am now so I spent a lot of my free time um studying CompTIA studying networking M&S was great because I could just go and walk up to the networking team and be like I'm trying to understand this uh, about the network. Am I on the right tracks? And they'd be like, yeah. And then they'd sit down and explain everything. I could go to the developers um, and have a similar conversation and whatnot. So it was like awesome from the learning perspective. Genuinely, it was awesome. Um, And then I thought, you know, I'm really confident, but I'm really confident on this network and on these applications and on our vulnerability management processes and on our scenes and, and tools and whatnot. And I just wanted to push myself. So then I went to an MSSP. Um, and again, I really enjoyed that. I went in as a senior in the SOC and had a great time again. Brilliant. Um, uh, then I went to another company um to do instant response at a more forensic level did not enjoy it at all wasn't for me um left and then I went to a financial company um and worked in their cert team so cyber instant response and uh yeah so really enjoyed that as well uh and then I left and went into business with Stephen so let's talk a little bit about that so it's a big leap for anyone, I think, leaving a leaving a job to set up a business on your own. And we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, maybe the early signs of that entrepreneurial flair that you had earlier on. And, you know, people might kind of laugh about that, me saying about an entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial it would be easier if I could say it, um, flair. But I think, 
when you are working at certain jobs and your mind is continually ticking over about how can I make this better? How can I improve this? How can I make this more streamlined? How can I improve efficiencies? How can I make the experience a bit better? You know, how can I make this a better environment for customers to come into? All those little things. That is very much part of, you know, the, the mindset of of, um, of an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter what job you're doing. And that, that was also my experience of, of, of kind of very early jobs that I had I'd also worked from the age of 14 and you know I'd always got the overtime and the you know the um promotions and stuff like that because you know I was always thinking when I was at work about how I could you know do things differently very similar to yourself I think um so you clearly had that as part part and you clearly had ambition you talked a couple of times about obviously you know wanting to be successful to be ambitious you know to earn good money to have a job for you know, a career for life and so on. So, but it's still a big leap starting a business um, yourself. So, so t- talk me through that a little bit and um, um, where did the idea come from and, and what is the aspiration for the company? Okay. So um, from working internally at companies, I'd get really frustrated about our, the service providers that provided to us. Um, I didn't always think the services were great I didn't and worth the money. Um, I didn't always see the value of them. And I was working directly with them and directly with the results. And I just thought this is not worth the huge price tag that's just been put on it. The tools and the vendors a lot of the time were so irritating, um, hard to use, it almost intentionally complex. And just not always, again, not always providing value that I just thought this is just, I could do this so much better. Um, but I didn't know enough. Uh, and that wasn't in my mind then um, to to start a business. I just thought, wow, like this is just, no. Um, or you'd, you'd be in a meeting um, and you'd have a vendor come in and be presenting and you'd say, okay, but what does it actually do? And they'd they'd not be able to put that in a sentence or two. Uh, and that annoyed me. And, you know, these things just started annoying me. And I was tallying up this, this checklist in my head of these companies that were annoying me, not just vendors, but service providers as well, um, that just saw the size of the company and had dollar signs in their eyes and actually had no intention of providing of value. And then when I went to work for... Um, service providers on the other the shoe on the other foot um I saw how they worked inside and how they were really quite inefficient as well not the particular ones I was at but just in general they're all sort of very similar in in mechanism in that in that sense um you know all aiming for the same sorts of customers um selling things that they don't have um scrambling around to provide something in the background that they've sold because they said they can do it like loads of different bad practices that happen in all mssps pretty much um that again really annoyed me and then i saw the you know the glass came down and i saw what was responsible for those bad services and um these made-up price tags seemingly on the spot you know ridiculous things like that and um I remember moaning about that to my uh, my boss's boss, which was the director of security at one of the managed services I was at. Um, And that was Stephen, who's my business partner. And we, you know, 
put the the world to rights on all these things that annoyed us and then later on um decided we would channel all of our frustrations into a business which is what we did and that's how that secured that security company and that's how pockets were born off the back of those frustrations so we like to pride ourselves on our customer service and our service models as well brilliant it's actually quite a common thing, actually, where people set up new businesses because they've been frustrated <laughs> working in other organisations for exactly those reasons. So actually, yeah, I think it's a, it's a common it's a common thing. And, and it's a good thing because it's built out of an aspiration of wanting to make something better and to improve something, um, you know, both either for the people who work there or for, or for the customers, which can only be a good thing, I think. Um, so how's it been since you since you started the company? How's it going? um actually great I'm having the time of my life and so Stephen genuinely we are having the best time um and this is you kind of think this is what life's all about finding something you love and doing it um yeah and I'm glad though that we got this we got the knowledge at the back of us first I mean I'm really lucky to work with Stephen because he's got like 25 years experience um and he's like built companies before and he's fantastic. So he really, really knows what he's doing. And in that sense, he's very much a mentor to me. And I don't even like that phrase because I think it's a bit bit overused nowadays. Um, but yeah, he definitely is. Um, so yeah, we're really, we're really lucky actually to work with each other because the natural talents that I have um, and the skills that I have complement where Stephen's lacking and vice versa. So um he's one of these people that I know it sounds bizarre but when he was a director of uh director of security I think that he was wasted that his talents were wasted at the time and now he's doing where what his strengths are so he's one of those people that you can just like lock him in a room not literally but you can just shut him in a room with something incredibly complex and notoriously difficult to do and he can just work it out and he can just do it and he does an amazing job and someone that's a specialist in that area will look at it and go oh wow you must have paid loads for this and you're like oh, Stephen did it <laughs> so like I like you know like I've said I've described him before is like um if we found some hieroglyphics on Mars that never been seen before Stephen would be able to work out what they meant <laughs> well he's it's a, it's a definitely a good partnership definitely uh, between between the two of you yeah because i mean i can't do that stuff <laughs> like, not i'll, well, I'll... The, the mars hieroglyphic <laughs> yeah i just like oh no let's just pretend we've not seen it <laughs> so um so big question then do you have the flip mobile phone and the uh and the corporate hairdo and the um the uh, skirt suit i've got a skirt suit that doesn't fit me anymore <laughs> because of covid i've eaten so much um so so that's out I've got um a phone case that flips to the side so technically maybe that may yeah I'd love if they brought flip phones back even though people don't like them I'd get one just because they look so cool um and no my hair's an absolute mess <laughs> so, so one out one out of three then with the um the, with the the school school girl aspirations of the um <laughs> the corporate stomping around telling people what to do so um 
Good. Um, well, I'm glad everything's going really well. I mean, I, I know I, I see obviously the, the posts on LinkedIn and things like that. And I know you've had lots lots of um, customers come towards you since you since you started. And I know you've been doing a fantastic job with them. So that's really great. And, and long may that continue. Um, it would be remiss of me not to talk to you about Ladies Hacking Society. So I know in the midst of all this, as you were forging your career onwards and, you know, moving ahead towards starting your own business and becoming obviously a chief exec in your own right. Um, you've also started Ladies Hacking Society. Um, and it would be great if you could just explain a little bit about why you set that up and what prompted you to do that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, initially it was Ladies of London Hacking Society. And then we, as you know, built a load more, um, chapters so we've we've changed the name now to ladies hacking society and with various different chapters um so i started that generally because i wanted to create a space that i wanted to be in i wanted to create a meetup that i wanted to attend and learn and i just couldn't find anything that was um aimed at women and technical they were the things that were aimed at women were very um soft skills oriented and grc oriented which is fine but there just wasn't any offering that was that was for women that were working in a technical arena um and i mean people you know might wonder why i was interested in women only spaces so um initially i wasn't and i was going to you know any meetup or um event that i thought sounded cool really um just to like learn something and i had a few weird experiences um I had you know one with a guy following me to the tube and then sitting next to me on the tube and being just a little bit too friendly and forward and I just felt really uncomfortable um uh, and I thought Christ you wouldn't have got this at a woman's event and and then the next time I went to a Kubernetes 101 event because I didn't really know anything about Kubernetes and the place I was working at was sort of experimenting with it. So I wanted to know more. Uh, bear in mind, it was Kubernetes 101. And this guy like took the piss out of me for not knowing much about Kubernetes. And I was like, that's literally why I'm here at a 101 event. Why are you here? But it was like, um, oh my God, like you don't know anything about Kubernetes. That's so embarrassing. You should go home. And I was like, okay, like, no, you should go back to school is what he said. Um, wow. God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And that was just while we were waiting to go in. And I thought, well, I'm not going to feel comfortable now asking any questions. I no. feel um, so like everyone there sort of already seemed to know about Kubernetes. I was the only woman and I had like, I ended up with like four guys stood around me grilling me about Kubernetes. I was like, I have no idea about Kubernetes. That's why I'm here. Um, that was a few years ago now, but I left and I was like, well, that was fucking awful. Um, so yeah, so I just started looking at women's events. Um, and like, you know, every single one I went to was non-technical and they were very much sending the message that this is the stuff the men do. And these are the things that we can do. And then they'd start talking about soft skills and, um, you know, personal traits of women that make them better than men that's something completely boring that no one cares about um or well you know we're great nurturers that's nice but how does that help me in cyber security jesus christ um so i quit going to them because they was i just got so annoyed by them and i just started one 
I just was like on the tube to work one day and I'd been t- thinking I'm going to do this, uh, not getting around to it, not getting around to it. And I was on the tube and I had, you know, some guy's armpit in my face and I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. So I just created a meetup account and, um, and then just created it and posted it on LinkedIn. And to my surprise, there was loads of interest, loads. Um, and, you know, the first event that we ran at Just Eat um, you know, thanks to Kevin Fielder for, for backing us up with that. Um, we, you know, we had loads of people. We had standing room only. So it was it was awesome. I've not looked back since. Amazing. So how many chapters are there now? Four. Four. So there's London, Norwich, um, Newcastle, well, northeast. I call them the, jo- the Geordie girls. Uh <laughs> um and we've just opened a Cheltenham one as well fantastic and and more in the offing I think hopefully yeah hopefully um which is great so so it's really great I mean it's amazing how much it's 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 grown and I know and now that you've explained the reason that you 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 said up or your what your experience have been it completely makes sense because I know one of the things that you're you always say at the, the actual physical meetups, you know, if, if we ever, if we ever get to meet up physically again, <laughs> um, you know, is, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question, you know, and that is very much kind of drilled in from, from the minute you walk in to say, look, we're here to ask questions. We're here to, we're here to learn, you know, um, which I think is, is, is great. And it's refreshing. And, um, you know, it's, it's been great to be, to be, you know to be able to come along and to be to be able to be part of that and to see that happen I think it's been fantastic so and long may that continue I think I sent you a message uh, earlier on today that's that said the LHS juggernaut because that's kind of how it feels a little bit at the moment and that's brilliant um because you know the more, more of that, that that can go on throughout the country is is fantastic so um so I know that earlier on in your career that that you I noticed on LinkedIn that you had tech for troops on your LinkedIn. Yes. Is that something that you wanted to talk about? I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. I'd love to pick it up in future. So this was, um, at the time, my brother was in Afghanistan. And, you know, I'd met friends of his briefly. um, That, you know, some of them didn't come back. Um, Some of them came back in, you know, chunks like something to be vulgar but you know mentally and physically you know they were completely different and um when I asked him it was just passing like what are they doing now he says a lot of them I'm paraphrasing but he said a lot of them are just sat on their computer just like discharged PTSD or whatever sat at their computer not really doing anything and I thought well they could be doing something they could be using the security mindset that they've got and people talk about a security mindset quite a lot it's a phrase that's banded about a lot but you can't teach it you can only experience life and see if that pops out of the other end what I mean by that is if you've been in a situation like a tour of Afghanistan or uh, Kuwait or Iraq or whatever um and your life and your um colleagues lives depend on having a security mindset as in the way that you view the world now your new normal now that can then be implemented into a corporate environment and you can bolt on and you can teach the technical um, information that someone needs 
Uh, and it was basically just me trying to prove that point. Um, because I, you know, I went to university, they teach you a lot of the binary stuff, you know, it's this, it's not this, it's this, it's not this. Um, there's not a great deal of, um, education on how to handle situations or um, thinking of a corporate environment um, as an attack surface more like just drilling down into specifics Um, and I you know it's kind of hard to explain but I just wanted to prove that you could teach someone technical skill and if they had a security way of thinking they could apply that to a corporate environment and I you know I think it worked it only went for two years and I didn't get um which support to be quite frank which is why it failed ultimately in the end we didn't fail um we gave up on it mm. but I think I think you're right I think there's there's definitely I think quite often people who've been in um the military don't see actually that the skills that they have are so valuable actually um in corporate organizations um and don't see the parallels quite often I think and there's definitely a lack of confidence in terms of how seeing how those skills transfer over so um so yeah I think that's something in fact I've been contacted just recently about um ex about supporting some ex-military um uh, personnel coming into um who've come out of the the army or maybe or air force yeah just recently about coming into into the industry so maybe that's something that we can pick up and have a chat about in the future so yeah I like to say I'd love to I'd love to get back involved in that in the future because I mean it definitely um, it definitely worked I you know I did meet people at the tech for troops conference it was just a yearly conference um, specifically aimed at military leavers or people that were in the military thinking of leaving Um, you know, I, I did meet people there that had no experience in the area. They're now, you know, they went on to be junior pen testers or, um, you know, stock analysts or whatever. And, you know, now they're doing really well. Uh, and that's nice to see. And then others that, um, you know, they did have experience in the military in um, cybersecurity or network engineering or whatever. Um, but they just didn't understand what was open to them and how how to navigate that um civilian life sort of career start exactly yeah 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 Yeah, I think it's just being able to see that really I think you know spend your life in the corporate world or spend your life in the military that it's what you know and again it's it's going back to sometimes it's taking that leap isn't it sometimes of of the fear factor of getting the other side and feeling like you're not going to know enough or you're not going to you know have the right background or 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 the right information or the right awareness about a particular area and um I think usually or my experience has been actually whenever I've taken a leap actually I've probably known more than I told myself I did um before I jumped and and you know I think it's that's, that's having a little bit more confidence or having other people have more confidence in you it definitely makes a difference so so no that's that's a great initiative so yeah so keep keep me posted on that one so um Eliza it's been amazing talking to you and and hearing you know hearing your story about how you got obviously to to where you are now which is you know setting up your business and certainly excited to see what happens next for you at that security company in pocket scene and you know over the next couple of years because you're still obviously early on in your career so um so I will 
personally make sure that I go and find some sort of diamond encrusted flip phone for you that you can <laughs> Uh, I'm going to make it my life's work now to make sure that I can find something for you. So just to complete that circle for you. So, um, but before we sign off, obviously I've got my my usual rapid response questions. So just to ask you, just at the tail end of the conversation, just to find out a little bit more about you as a person. So the first question, as ever, is uh, what is what has been the most favourite concert you've ever been to? ever um that was Nickelback (laughs) so that's controversial because they're so hated and I don't know why they were absolutely fantastic wow I can only remember one hit of theirs has just sprung into mind I was I won't sing it for everybody (laughs) (laughs) um but yes Nickelback where where was it where was the concert it was at Sheffield Arena um and it was absolutely fantastic I was about 20, 20 I think actually I was 21 and I went with my friend Kerry at the time and we had the most amazing night it was fantastic and Blackstone Cherry supported them and sang with them Highway to Hell and it was just fantastic fantastic night they were brilliant brilliant are they still going Nickelback yeah yeah he's got his hair cut now and he looks like you know a little less like a basset hound I'm getting on Google after this conversation's over to look them up um okay so um big question for a rapid response question but in your opinion what is the biggest challenge that we face today in info security um I, I, I hate to say it but I think that I've been looking into industrial control systems quite heavily at the moment and I'm really sort of passionately studying in that area and um i'm quite scared at how weak we are um not just in this country but internationally on protecting industrial control systems so probably that yeah 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 okay good um well not that's not good (laughs) yeah great (laughs) good, good answer to the question um so uh question three um what has been your all time favorite box set binge um it's on oh what is it on it's on netflix and it's called good girls that's it it's called good girls and it's about three women that rob a grocery store and uh turn into a life of crime it's great three mums that turn into a life of crime absolutely fantastic i think i've seen the first series yeah it's good i haven't seen i haven't seen the others but um but yeah is there more series i only thought there was one no i think i think there's Series two is out, I think. From, oh, God, you know, it's I amazing. I'm wrong about that, but yes, I'm with you on that. So good. Um, question four, who is your ultimate infosec shiro or hero? Oh, God. How do you say this without sounding like a insipid fangirl? Um, probably Shannon Morse. Okay. Um from Hack5 on YouTube because when I was sort of my first year at uni and I needed, you know, help with various other like things that were kind of, you know, not particularly that tricky, but just things that I needed to go home and brush up on. It was Shannon Morse that got me through it. (laughs) I've actually spoke to her since and said, you know, thanks for getting me through uni (laughs) with your videos that's yeah. as good as reason a good a reason as any for uh for, for being your absolute shero absolutely so good okay um question five what is your ultimate comfort food oh god anything but not chicken 
oh that's random (laughs) (laughs) I don't like chicken or melon but I eat anything else I just love food so nothing in particular so you've had a bad day and things have gone chocolate bad chocolate okay what kind of chocolate I'm just Cadbury's dairy milk you can't beat it okay good I'm just making a note to that if I ever need to bribe you it's going to be a phone <laughs> and some Cadbury's dairy milk. Okay. And um, the last question is, um, how would people describe you in one word? Well, it begins with a C. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> um, oh, God. Tenacious. I've been described as tenacious a lot. I think that's a very appropriate word. Do you think that's true about yourself? Probably. <laughs> but I don't know if it's a good thing though (laughs) I'm not sure but yeah I've been described as tenacious a few times so I'll go with that one why wouldn't it be a good thing um well I always I always did think that tenacious meant um you know a little bit of an arsehole really (laughs) (laughs) someone that just goes and gets what they want no, no, I don't. I don't read it as a negative at all. I think it's absolutely a positive, and I would, uh, I would say, yeah, it's very true um, <laughs> when it comes to you. So I think that's a great word to end on. So, Eliza, thanks. thanks so much for taking the time to to come on and and chat with me um, and to tell your story. Um, it's been really great to hear it, and um, you know, really interesting and and inspiring. I think you know, given what you're doing now. Uh, from where you started so thanks ever so much for for taking the time to come onto the podcast Uh, thank you no thank you for having me it's been it's been fun